This week on Daiwa, we're in Appanoose County. A man takes a trip to the woods to go hunting over Thanksgiving and doesn't come back. Welcome to Daiwa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast, where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth LaValle and Allie Tulin. All right, Beth, Appanoose County, what do you know about this one? I know a little bit. <laughs> the county seat is Centerville, and I've definitely been there at least once, but what do you know? I have not been, but I do know about Centerville, and we were just chatting. Simon Estes is from Centerville, and he gave the speech at my graduation from college, the commencement speech, so it was cool. What were his words of wisdom? I think he sang. And <laughs> I don't know. I was just going to say, did he yes. sing the words of wisdom? I, if, if I remember correctly. <laughs> at your high school graduation? No, college. college. Yeah, cool. very cool. Yeah, big Simon Estes fan. He's great. What a jolly man. Yeah. Uh, but historically, the county was a major coal mining region. And recently, a Rubbermaid plant was the county's largest private employer until the company announced in 2006 that the plant would relocate to Kansas. So now there's a historical coal mining museum in Centerville, but it sounds like that kind of might be it. You're forgetting about the most important thing. <laughs> There's a pancake day. <laughs> it's actually not even a day. It's a whole festival. It began in 1949, and it's Centerville's largest festival with over 35,000 people in attendance oh my annually. God. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Think about how many pancakes you'd have to have. That is crazy, and I am not a pancake fan, so I would not really? attend. Okay, you'll love this then. Okay. Tom's favorite would you rather mm-hmm. is literally putting anything next to would you rather do this or eat a giant stack of pancakes because you know how after you eat a giant stack of pancakes you just feel disgusting i don't because i never have i hate i hate pancakes oh i figured that you didn't <laughs> like them because of the disgusting feeling it gave. no i don't like them because i hate maple syrup oh that's right <laughs> So you never even had, like, banana pancakes or blueberry pancakes? No, I think I've had chocolate chip pancakes, and that's okay, but, like, I still just would prefer not to eat yeah. them. <laughs> that's honestly fair. I mean... I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm ruining your pancake day like that. I mean, I'm sure there's people... I mean, obviously there's people out there that love pancakes because there's 35,000 people. That's true. So many people. It's like the state of Iowa comes together. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I love that. Okay, I have one more fact that I'm really excited to tell you about. Molly Bullen was raised in Moravia, Iowa, and she is the first basketball player assigned to play in the WBL and became a pioneering figure in women's basketball, both as a scoring threat and as a sex symbol for the league. So Bullen was born in Dryden, Ontario, but raised in Moravia, Iowa, and played basketball for the high school Mohawks her junior year. Bullen was selected to participate in tryouts for the 1976 Summer Olympics women's basketball team at just 17 years old and was voted an All-American her senior year. In 1975, she attended Grandview University in Des Moines 
but she took a break to marry Dennis Bolin and have her son Damien in 1977. When she returned in 1978, she set university scoring records, averaging 24.6 points per game, which is pretty crazy. Bullen then went on to be the first player to sign to the newly formed Women's Professional Basketball League and signed a one-year contract with the Iowa Cornets for $6,000. This is when she was situated as the sex symbol for the league and appeared in photo shoots like Sports Illustrated and Sports World and commercials with Larry Bird. And the Women's Professional Basketball League kind of fell apart around 1981, and around that same time her husband divorced her, claiming that she, quote, abandoned her family for basketball. But, right, she continued to promote the concept of a new women's basketball league and was hired by Fox Sports in 1995 to create a women's tournament for television. Shortly after, the NBA announced its intent to establish the WNBA. In 2017, Molly Bullen returned to Iowa just for a visit, and she's now living as a realtor in California and is remarried as of 1989 and has two children. Sounds like she had kind of a wild life. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Imagine being the first professional women's basketball player. No I, yeah, pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, should we get to the story? Let's do it. So this is another recent one. It starts in 2017. And what I remember from 2017 is that we were working together. Oh, I so, love it. What's your favorite memory of us being on the same team? There are too many. (laughs) I'm actually being sincere. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I think my favorite memory is working in a room called Pikachu with you, and I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Amazing. What about you? I'm still so upset that they didn't go with live in my idea of naming the conference rooms after types of pasta. That would have been hilarious. Imagine working in the rigatoni room. Would have made so much more sense. (laughs) (laughs) Still mad. Yes. My other favorite memory is um, one time we had to go to a conference that was just for employees. I don't even remember what they called it. Hy-Vee University Mm -hmm. or something like that, where they try and recruit all the young store folks to become managers and yeah. stuff. And we were there to promote the digital team. And uh, we were just walking in, and all of a sudden, there's like a cardboard cutout <laughs> of Allie Tulin, like front and center. Terrifying. <laughs> okay, no. Do you know what my totally favorite memory unplanned. actually is? That actually, it, it's not my favorite memory, but also most terrifying is when I came to work on Halloween and you were dressed as me and I didn't realize it. <laughs> okay. That was maybe taking it too far, but I thought it was pretty funny. It was. I think you won that year. <laughs> Nobody knew who I was. And then I was like, can't you tell I'm Allie? And then they were like, oh. <laughs> Just slightly I trolling my me. hair blonde. <laughs> That was amazing. Okay. What else to set the context? What else happened in 2017? Oh, my God. I I know Beyonce announced she had twins. That's all I know. Yeah, so much. Uh, Moonlight won Best Picture over La La Land, and there was that whole debacle of mixing it up. Uh, Kendall Jenner had that Pepsi ad (laughs) to solve the world problems. And I think you win as her for Halloween. (laughs) I did. No one understood my Halloween costume that year either, unfortunately. But 
Someone guessed that was Michael Jackson. That was a real blow. Oh, <laughs> rough. And then on a serious note, the Me Too movement started and Weinstein was outed as a sexual predator. And then to end with another fun one, Taylor Swift started her comeback with her Reputation album. Her comeback. She never left Allie. <laughs> okay, so now that we have context for what's happening, the murder. So let's start with Curtis Ross, who went by Kurt, was a 31-year-old man, and he had traveled to Appanoose County around Rathbun Lake for a hunting trip. He was a big outdoorsman and was a really skilled hunter, and he kind of looked like a friendly neighbor who might be a new dad. Maybe he coaches his daughter's softball team, like that kind of guy. But basically, he was a white male with brown hair and a goatee. This is going to be a tough episode for me, not just because it's recent and sad, but because I have very, very limited knowledge on both hunting and guns. So I don't know if this will resonate with anyone else, but can you or do you want to give background on hunting season in general? Yeah. Are you a hunter? I am not a hunter, but I had a brother who hunted. Okay, so I have limited knowledge, but basically hunting seasons vary by what kind of animal you're looking to hunt and the state you're hunting in. And some only last a few days, some last longer, but hunting has to be done between sunrise and sunset, generally like 8 to 4.30. And there are certain stipulations on which type of weapons you can use, like a shotgun for deer hunting versus a muzzleloader for deer hunting. And then you go out there and usually wait until you get a good shot. And some of the popular spots in Iowa are the Lust Hills, Spirit Lake, and Rathbun Wildlife Area, where we are today. Okay, thank you. We may have to revisit that <laughs> throughout this episode. All right. So on November 23rd, 2017, Kurt Ross, again, had traveled to the Rathbun Lake area from Cedar Falls for a Thanksgiving hunt, which is pretty common. After he didn't return to the home he was staying at, he was reported missing at about 1 a.m., two days after arriving in the area to hunt. Then seven hours after he was reported missing, his body was found in the wildlife area. His pickup truck was later found near the entrance of the Rathbun Lake public hunting ground. He was shot 10 times, stabbed more than 26 times, and his neck, abdomen, and legs were gashed open. He was shot at least once from a very close range. They found ammunition and magazines around his body, and an autopsy determined that Ross had been stabbed and shot multiple times. Kurt's family thanked people who assisted in locating his body right away and expressed gratitude to law enforcement for all the hard work during the investigation. Officials searched 800 acres during their investigation. His family said that Kurt had apparently gone to the far northwest corner of Appanoose County on November 23rd to hunt and then to retrieve equipment that he had previously set out. After Kurt's death, his family set up an online fundraiser for funeral expenses that raised more than $10,000 in 10 days. His family said in the post, quote, he left behind so many people who loved him. After the incident, law enforcement requested anyone with information to reach out to them about Kurt's death. Rough terrain in the 600-acre area made the search for evidence difficult, but eventually they found what they needed through the evidence on the scene. Officers found clues in the woods, including an ammunition box with the same kinds of rounds used in the killing. There were also palm and fingerprints on the box. And then they also found a pickup truck and found blood in that pickup truck. 
So on December 7th, 2017, Ethan Landon Davis, a 27-year-old from Promise City, was charged with first-degree murder. Some background on Davis. He kind of looks like a mean Channing Tatum, or if John Hamm and Channing Tatum were morphed into one person. But it looked like he had been in an on-again, off-again relationship with Shayla Marie Stevens since about 2012. And at this time, Davis was suspected of violent assault and child endangerment in an unrelated incident that happened hours before Ross was reported missing. Davis did not enter a plea during court appearance. A judge kept his bond set at $1 million. Law enforcement then conducted a search warrant of Davis's parents' residence in Promise City. Davis lived in a small trailer on the 420-acre property. Officers found Davis's vehicle about a mile north of his residence and found that areas inside the vehicle tested positive for blood. So this unrelated incident, authorities alleged that Davis burst into a home in Seymour on November 24th, where his ex-fiance and her boyfriend were. He pistol-whipped the boyfriend and fired a shot into the ceiling before trying to leave with his one-year-old son. Because of this incident, Davis had been held in the Wayne County Jail since November 25th. Davis maintained that he was worried about his son's safety, and he pled not guilty to operating a vehicle while intoxicated in September. On June 17th of 2018, Davis was found guilty of misdemeanor charges. Davis was acquitted of first-degree burglary, but found guilty of misdemeanor counts of assault causing bodily injury and child endangerment. So in the media, the case was now being called, quote, the hunter who became the hunted, which I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. But... At this point, authorities were unsure if Kurt and Davis had met each other and what the motive was behind the killing. The trial started on February 8, 2019. The prosecuting team said in their opening statements, quote, We don't know why Kurt Ross was killed. We don't know why Ethan Davis picked him. But we do know their paths crossed right here in Appanoose County on November 24, 2017. Shazinski, the lead prosecutor, said the evidence will show Davis perched on a hilltop, pulled the trigger of an AR-15, and killed Ross. She also said Davis left his child with his parents, then laid low and went off the grid for more than 30 hours over the same period of time they said he killed Ross. Davis told a friend and a law enforcement officer that he spent the night in the woods. Again, in case you didn't know, here's some background on AR-15s. You can legally hunt with them in Iowa. These rifles are popular with military, law enforcement, competitive shooters, and a broad range of gun enthusiasts. They're lightweight, easy to carry alternatives to traditional hunting rifles. You can also hunt a wide range of game animals and can shoot up to 45 rounds a minute. According to the Globe Gazette, Davis's father, Jameson Davis, testified that his son owned numerous guns and kept them, quote, everywhere. He said Davis owned shotguns, pistols, knives, and more than one AR-15-style weapon. His father also testified that he was a, quote, prepper, meaning he was a survivalist prepared for self-reliance in case of emergencies or disruptions in society, like a doomsday prepper. He also said that Davis was working in Centerville at a fixer-upper project the morning of November 22nd. He worked there until mid to late afternoon. He wasn't at Thanksgiving the following day, though that didn't surprise his father. He apparently had some past disagreements with family members who would be attending. The next morning, he saw Davis at home in between farming chores. Jameson was getting cattle ready for a sale and asked if his son could assist. Davis replied that he had an errand to run and would be back shortly. 
Jameson said he assumed Davis meant he needed to get cigarettes in Seymour, which was a common morning errand. What he was actually doing was stopping by his ex-fiancé's house to get his son. It was more than 30 hours before Davis would reappear at his home. The disappearance wasn't uncommon. Jameson said, quote, It's been his demeanor since he was a child. If something in life was going astray for him, or it wasn't going his way, it may be a few minutes, or it may be part of the day, he would go to his room, go outside, go somewhere and be by himself, and then come back. During the closing arguments, Davis's attorney, Ken Ducker, said that there were too many unanswered questions in the case. He acknowledged Davis's rifle killed Ross, but said, quote, The question is, who pulled the trigger? Prosecutors took issue with a defense argument that some unknown person had intentionally framed Davis for the killing. Who would do it? Who would frame Ethan Davis? Give me a name, prosecutors said, according to court documents. On February 15, 2019, the Des Moines Register reported that Davis was convicted of first-degree murder. The jury reached the verdict hours after telling a judge they were deadlocked in their deliberations. The judge instructed them to continue trying to reach a unanimous verdict. On March 18th, Davis was sentenced the mandatory life in prison. In May, classmates of Kurt installed a bench in his honor. The dedication on the bench is from the AGWSR class of 2004 in memory of Kurt Ross from Ackley, Iowa. The classmates said they wanted to honor Ross for his passion for the outdoors and his family and friends. Davis appealed to overturn his conviction in 2020. He argued that there was insufficient evidence to support it and claimed that the court had improperly allowed prosecutors to shift the burden of proof to him. He argued it should not be the defendant's job to prove his own innocence, but the court ruled prosecutors' statements were fair game. Quote, It's not improper for the prosecutor to make statements aimed at the theory of the defense, the judges wrote, citing earlier case law. In its decision, released Wednesday, December 16, 2020, the Court of Appeals denied all of Davis's claims except for one regarding a clerical error in his sentence that the court ordered to be corrected. The court agreed that circumstantial evidence strongly pointed to Davis as the killer and said the jury had perfectly good reasons to disregard Davis's theory that the killing was a setup. Quote, this would require that someone stole Davis's gun without him knowing and then killed Ross at the exact same time Davis was in hiding due to being on the run from law enforcement. The perpetrator would have then had to sneak onto the Davis property without being seen to plant the gun with Davis's fingerprints and Ross's blood, the court wrote. The latest we've heard about this case is in September of 2021, when it was reported that Davis again is appealing his conviction for first-degree murder. So what's interesting about these recent cases is you can look at like Facebook posts about it. So there were a few Facebook posts around the time Davis was charged defending him, but it looks like once he was convicted, those kind of stopped. In 2020, Shayla posted on Davis's Facebook saying, quote, Miss you like crazy. Ethan, we made the most perfect baby boy ever. He's funny just like us. He's cute just like us. He looks more like you, but he's amazing and I wish you could be here to see him grow and to walk him into school and be there when times get tough. I'm so sorry things got like this. So sorry everything tumbled off a mountain when all you wanted was your family, Lucius and I. I'm so sorry. Wish you were here. It seemed like a lot of the consensus on Facebook was that there were two lives lost in this incident. And let's end with some words about Kurt Ross. Preston Frazier, who said he hired Ross as a hunting guide at IMB Outfitters in 2008, called Kurt an excellent hunter, especially when pursuing turkeys. Preston said, quote, You immediately felt like you knew him all your life. 
He was an all-around good dude. It was said Kurt easily made friends with strangers. He was also a skilled painter who helped custom-build homes and an avid outdoorsman who loved hunting and adored his chocolate Labrador retriever, Avery. He rooted for the Iowa Hawkeye football team and played outfield during slow-pitch softball games. His mom said in 2018, quote, It's still real raw. He had a sly smile. It worked its way up to his hazel eyes, and he gave the best bear hugs. And that's all we have. Should we call Taps? Yep, let's give him a call. Sounds good. Hey, Taps, thanks for joining. Hello. It is just me this time, so hope you're excited. Can't you tell? <laughs> yeah. Uh, first off, have you ever been to Appanoose County? I have. I have, have flown you? over Lake Rathbun. It's a big <laughs> lake for Was Iowa. It cool? Yeah. Uh, you can't have houses on that lake, right? No, it's a Corps of Engineers lake. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, how many cases would you say without motive are convicted on average? I don't know what the percentage would be, but it happens. But it's rare because juries want to hear why somebody did something. So it's a difficult conviction to get. And then this case, we talk a lot about hunting. Are you a hunter? Oh, I've hunted, but I wouldn't call a hunter. I, I mean, I work with lots of people and been around lots of people that are pretty passionate about it, but it's never really been my thing. Do you have any hunting safety tips? Yeah. Um, be careful with guns. <laughs> That's my <laughs> hunting safety tip. Are there, are there like Iowa classes you could, or do you have to take like hunting safety classes? Well, yeah. And they, they're offered all through the state. All right. Remember a few episodes we were talking about how other convictions or trials shouldn't be mentioned in a trial, but because of this incident with a son being connected to one, was it okay to bring that up? Well, it's largely in the purview of the judge on whether he or she will allow past convictions to be raised. Generally, they cannot be spoken about in a case unless the defendant calls them, them into question. In other words, he says on the witness stand, I've never been convicted of anything, and he really has been convicted of something. Then he has now called those convictions into question, and now the prosecutor can bring them up. But generally, past convictions cannot be brought in. There are some exceptions. Okay. Um, but they would have to be dealt with pre-trial by the judge. Got so it. the judge knows when they go into trial, yep, we're going to allow to be talked, we're going to let the prosecutor talk about a certain case. Do you think there's any chance of proving if Davis is innocent? Well, I mean, I, I don't, it would be up to his defense lawyers and him. From my understanding of the case, there was a match on the rifle mm -hmm. and he owned the rifle. I'd be interested to know if there were any other DNA evidence. I think the body was found in pretty bad shape, wasn't it? Yeah. Going so, back to that, have you ever seen any people hunt with AR-15s? Yeah, people do all the time, especially really? like down in Texas when they hunt feral pigs. They use AR-15s a lot. Mm. A 223 round has a, is a pretty high velocity round, and it works pretty well on big game like that, bigger game. Crazy. Um, have you ever worked a case where somebody was framed? 
not that I know of. I mean, in every case, people are trying to point their fingers at other people, but I don't recall specifically a case where somebody actually was quote unquote framed and then later acquitted. Um, that's very rare. And then any other theories on a motive in this case? I have none, but there, the way the, the homicide occurred and the violent nature of what was done to the body either leads me to believe there's a mental health episode or that somebody had some lingering deep-seated hatred towards the victim. Because usually when people mutilate a body like that, it's from some long-standing hatred. And from what I've seen about the case, these two individuals allegedly didn't even know each other. Right. So that's, that's a little bit troubling to me. But again, you'd have to read the trial transcript and see what all the evidence was. Any final thoughts? Uh, no, this is an interesting case because again, I just don't, I don't understand the motive. And it's interesting that the jury convicted without knowing the motive. I believe you have said that the case is being appealed again by the suspect, by the defendant. So we'll see mm -hmm. once how it goes. But I mean, if it's like most appeals, it's going to be a de novo appeal just on the record of what's occurred at trial. So you probably know everything that there is to know about it. Well, appreciate you joining. We'll make sure best on the next one. Thank you. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, fax, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.